Our lives mm-hmm. become so wrapped up in our kids that we lose who we are through mm-hmm. that. No, you're not a soccer mom. You're a mom whose kid plays soccer and you support them. And there is a difference in that. So that is the first thing is maintaining your identity, the life crisis, the identity crisis, the purpose crisis. I mean, like whether you're like, I don't purpose in my life. I don't know who I am anymore. I mean, the first thing I'm going to tell you is let's go back to when you were a kid, what things lit you up inside, Mm -hmm. what things gave you joy. What about when you were a teenager? What about in high school? When you were in college, what did you want to be when you grew up? What, what things did you do that you love? Those are the things that you work on that are your identity. And that, and I never stopped doing the things that I loved. I had Mm -hmm. the feeling, the, I don't know. I just, the belief, I had a belief system that I could still do anything I wanted to do with kids. I may just have to tweak it. All right, Blissful Parents. It is that time of the week, our favorite time of the week for our Blissful Parenting podcast interview. Today, I am so excited. I'm your host, Michelle Abraham, and I am here with a really special guest today. We are talking about from identity crisis to gratitude, raising 18 kids, the one and only mom of 18, Jen Taylor, and the host of the Naked Podcaster podcast. So welcome, Jen. And Thank you. Uh, thanks for being here. I'm super excited to be here. You, you made it sound like really, really awesome introducing me. That's great. <laughs> you are really, really awesome. And I think, uh, I know I'm in wow of you. And I'm sure many of our parents are in wow of you. Like 18 kids, Jen, really? Like, holy smokes, how are you still standing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't give birth to all of them. That's one reason I'm still standing. <laughs> well, <that's great>. um, <laughs> you know, honestly, though, I chose my life and I love it. And mm-hmm when there are days or situations that happen that are really like, not what you like, like I've been divorced, for example, Mm -hmm. I have the ability to change my choices and change my life so that I still love it. So I think that's a really big deal to send home with anyone is that I chose it and I love it. A lot of times Mm -hmm. we're unhappy and not realizing that it's up to us to make those choices. So I did it and I did it well because I chose it and I love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a great statement to start with because it's true. Like if you're not happy, like with the situation, who, what, who, what's got to change? It's you, right? So it all starts with you and being happy. And, uh, you know, I want to dive back into a little bit about, you know, your journey on this parenting journey has been uh, obviously a long journey because if you have 18 kids that spread out in, in several ages, you've been at this a long time and I'm sure you've learned some amazing things. So take us back to uh, your journey in parenting and what's that been like for you as a parent of so many kids. And, and I'm sure each kid has taught you some fabulous lessons along the way. Oh my gosh. I mean, that would be, I'd have to do a minimum hour podcast on each kid <laughs> legitimately. You know, I am blessed with, I don't know if it's my personality or a skill that I developed, but I look at things that happen kind of like someone planting a seed. So I was 15. I was not sexually active yet. My first OBGYN appointment was with a man and he was the first one that actually touched me below my belt. So awkward, uncomfortable, embarrassing. He was awesome. He was awesome. And I went to him because I hadn't started my period yet. I was about to turn 16. Something was really off. And he said to me, you may not be able to have children and you should expect to go through infertility. Now I'm 50 right now. And no matter how much I look back on that appointment 
and conversation. I have no idea what he saw in that visit and in me to make that comment because I didn't really have a knife enough life experience, like with my periods or any of that. He saw it though. And he mentioned it. And it was one of those things at the time I didn't really think much of, but it was one of those seeds that gets planted in the back of your mind and never stops simmering. Mm -hmm. I knew at that moment, I really wanted to have a family. I was okay with infertility and there's other ways to get a family. And I knew about, I felt strongly about other ways to create a family because my third grade teacher had made such a difference to me in my life that I knew it was possible to take kids in a really rough situation and make a really enormous difference in their lives because it had happened to me. So I went from not perpetuating a cycle and, you know, breaking that cycle. And I was on my, on my way to doing that at that 15, 16 year old age, I did go through infertility and I think I was less emotional about my infertility journey, partially because I'm super visual first. I'm also very laid back and kind of analytical. I'm kind of logical. So I'm like the man in the relationship. You know, my husband's the emotional one and I'm like the logical analytical one. So we have traditional role reversal there. I think that's part of it. And the other part was like, I was prepared at 15. I was told that I would probably have to go through infertility. So I was a little less emotional. Don't get me wrong. Infertility is a physical and emotional nightmare that was very, very difficult. I went through it for almost a year. I was maxed out on Clomid and Provera. Any woman who's been through it knows what those medications are and that they make you feel like someone, an alien has taken possession of your body and you're both still in there, but you're fighting for control. I went through seven surgeries. They're the day surgeries. They're the surgeries that you have to kind of figure out what's going on. They biopsy the inside lining of your uterus. They do laparoscopic surgery to check for endometriosis. They burn any off. They flush your fallopian tubes. There's all of these like day surgeries that leave you feeling emotionally and physically broken. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, you have a medication that makes you feel like some other personality and not a pleasant personality is possessing your mind. It was a really, really tough thing to go through. I hit the point of IVF. Mm-hmm. And for mamas that take that journey, I, I like, I am virtually hugging you so hard with so much love because I knew it was not my journey. I waved the the white flag and I told my doctor, he was this, he was an, like an Asian man from uh, like Japan or something short, super quiet, very introverted, really, again, fantastic experience. I feel very blessed with that. And I encourage you, if you don't feel like the doctors that you're seeing are great experiences, change doctors. Because I I was really, really blessed up to this point to have amazing, phenomenal male doctors that I loved. Um, I told him, I'm not doing IVF. I'm not doing any more infertility. I need to get off this medication. I am tapping out right now. So He was doing blood work to wean me off the medication and kind of track me. Interestingly, my estrogen never went above 0.3. Again, women who go through this, it should have been 10 to 12. Ironically, my estrogen now is normal at 50, maybe because it's still 0.3. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, he was weaning me off. He came into the office one day and he hugged me, which was really, really odd for this man. And he said, he was really choked up. He started to cry and he said, you're pregnant. It's not on the schedule that I put you on. The weeks don't match up. I have no idea how it was able to happen. 
And for, for those of you who don't know what sex, sex is actually what makes it happen. Surprise. I mean, sometimes I, I think with infertility, you know, there's so many, there, there's like wherever your spiritual journey is and stuff like that. And it doesn't always make sense in their book. So it was, it didn't make sense in his book. There was no physical way I should have been able to get pregnant. He was absolutely confused. And he said, this is your miracle. You may not ever get pregnant again. And you can expect to have a very tough pregnancy and you have a very high risk of miscarriage. So again, I was super prepped, right? Without realizing someone was planting a seed and prepping me. It was a very difficult pregnancy. At one point I was so sick. I don't remember this. My sister remembers this. I was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. I was in and out of consciousness. They were going to induce a miscarriage to save my life. And I was basically like, I'm going down with the ship. I'm not, I don't know that I could have hundred percent made that call. I think as a medical professional, you're forced to save the mom and lose the baby, but I made it abundantly clear that there was no part of that, that I was interested in, in inducing a miscarriage. And I would, I would prefer mm-hmm. just to die with the baby. Mm-hmm. So you have other children at this point. Like, no, like no, this was my first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got through that. I was in and out of the hospital. I was going to deliver at a birthing center with a midwife. And at 37 weeks, she looked at me and she said, something's not right. And thank goodness for people who are super intuitive Mm -hmm. and feeling is their primary language. She gave me a choice of two hospitals. I chose one. I went, they did all kinds of ultrasounds and tests. I I declined amnio. I'm a very natural, like, let's do this as natural as possible. And then we'll get medically involved. So I said no to amnio. They let me go ahead and go into labor. I was already kind of in labor and then we were trying to slow it down. And I gave birth to my daughter. She was born with a lung disease. They told me that it was, it was at a teaching facility that they would hit a button and the room would fill with people. There were 23 people in my room. Wow. It's a surprise to like, you know, I was like having, I was, I was getting ready to push. So you're at that point in labor. So I remember looking down and looking up and being like, holy cow, there's a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they told me ahead of time that they would do a bedside evaluation. If they felt like life-saving efforts, she would end up still dying. They would hand her back to me and allow her to die in my arms. If they felt like they could save her, they would rush her out of the room. So again, I was prepped. They rushed her out of the room. I heard nothing for seven hours. Seven hours later, the head neonatologist came into my room and I'm a little panicked. I'm also 21 and my husband was military. So he wasn't there. I was alone at 21 with a baby or just having a baby, the head neonatologist came in and said, if we had known how bad she was now, we would have handed her back to you and let her die in your arms. She is on full life support. She's the most critical of 29 babies and she will not live through the first 72 hours. The first time you will hold your daughter is after she's died. Oh my gosh. She just turned 29 on April 4th, 2021. She turned the corner uh, three days right before the 72 hours. She had a lot wrong with her and it was a journey for that. She's totally normal. She's a financial planner. She's really incredible. I'm totally biased when I say that, but as a human being, I just think she's one of the most incredible human beings. That experience taught me that I was pretty much done with, like if I hadn't been done with infertility, (laughs) I'm done. So I went right into foster care. I did get pregnant six more times, seven times total. And I lost three of them. 
and I gave birth to four and the next three were home births with a midwife. Two of them were water birth, but I started doing foster care. So when people are like, oh, you took on extras, which is what they say when you, when you've adopted or you have long-term foster kids age out. And my whole family knows like, no, I planned those. The unexpected surprises were the four children that I actually was able to give birth to because I I ended up having a hysterectomy at 33 with my seventh pregnancy. I lost twins at 17 or 19 weeks. Um, Twins at 19 weeks is a really tough miscarriage. And I had three surgeries. And so from infertility to a hysterectomy to home birth and hospital, like everything, I've done everything. And so those were the surprises. My biological children were the surprises. It was, I didn't know what to expect. I did always have really tough pregnancies, but not like the first time. Mm-hmm. I, I think I was much more prepared. And so were the midwives. And so it was, they were really beautiful, wonderful experiences. I'm thrilled I had home births. I love my two water births. So I had adopted four kids. I gave birth to four, adopted four, and I had two long-term. That's 10. If we can add, that's 10. (laughs) And I was, I divorced. And as a single parent, I continued to do foster care. I took three more long-term in foster care and I adopted one more. That brings you up to 14. So I did foster care for 12 years. And then I became a teacher to train foster parents for another couple of years. So I have about 15 years experience in foster care and in adoptions. So I had 14 kids and I was still single. And my oldest daughter, Bree, who's 29, when she was 20, she and a really good friend of mine, they got together and they decided it was time for me to date, which was also, I was very resistant, but it was a really fun experience, experiment. They introduced me to Dane. Um, He was the first person that they talked to, but not the first person that I met. And I was so humoring them. I was humoring them. And when we had texted for a week and we met each other and he said, you know, I sat at the table, like I was very close. (laughs) I was like, let's wrap this up. And he knew that there was a point in our conversation that I started to laugh and I leaned forward and he thought, oh, I've got her. (laughs) But from that moment on, we have never not been together. And Dane had four children and his wife died. So I've got, I, I, we can even talk about your husband's dead wife's ashes in your closet because I've got some. So I mean like yeah, there's a you've lot had every experience possible. It's crazy between you and Dane that you've been on such a journey. And I think it's so much uh so much great uh life experience you've had on this journey to really like help you prepare for what you're doing now in your world. And so I want to let our audience know, like, what is it now that you do, Jen? And how do you support parents out there, females, moms, especially people that are gone through, um, you know, life experiences and are, you know, like, like all those, each one of those individual experiences you had could have caused an identity crisis in anyone, <laughs> you know, and how yeah. you come up with gratitude, so much gratitude for, for what you have, where you are. And so I just wanted to bring, I bring our parents into that journey where you are today. Today, I'm a Christian coach for women. Now that doesn't mean if you're not Christian or not a woman, I can't coach you, but predominantly Christian women is who I coach. And it has a lot to do with gratitude. I mean, Again, I don't know which came first. Was I super organized and having kids brought that out in me or having a lot of kids forced me to develop that? It's the same thing with this innate ability, this innate 
feeling that I have with my faith and with the ability to always see the silver linings. I was raised in a lot of dysfunction and I could have definitely gone in many different directions. When you look back at your life, you realize like, oh, that was a pivotal point where Mm -hmm. if I had made it, where you made a decision that sent you down the wrong path and you corrected it or not. But I've always just really, really fought to see like in a bad day or moment or week or situation where, what am I getting this grade out of it? And of course I didn't do that as a six-year-old or a nine-year-old, but I'm really big as I got older, you know, I graduated at 17 and moved on my own and I really, really wanted to do things differently. And I think that's when I started exploring what do these situations mean? And I realized fairly young that we either label ourselves or we allow other people to label us. And that is not our identity. And the things we've gone through, good or bad, are not our identity. But all these things kind of are bits and pieces of who we are that we can then decide to capitalize on or embrace or expand on or eliminate from our lives. And so, you know, then working in foster care, I mean, going through my own experiences with infertility and and then doing foster care, all of those things taught me huge lessons, but huge lessons in gratitude for my own life, from where I came from to where I decided to be and realizing that when I didn't like my life, and this is part of divorce, as hard as divorce is, as much as I didn't get married to get divorced, and I've done it more than once. And as embarrassing as it is, and as much of a failure as you can potentially feel when you've been divorced, especially in the Christian community, it wasn't who I was. It was part of who I was. And my life is something that I have control over. We don't have control over so many things. Mm-hmm. When we have areas of our lives that we can make decisions that change it, whether it's how organized you are with your paperwork or what classes that you want to take or what your degree is in college, the things that you have choice and control over. I've been very good at figuring out what those are and utilizing them to the best of my ability. And so I took every experience that I had that was negative or tough and I flipped the script. I wanted to view it through a different lens of the lesson that I was learning and I wanted the positive spin on it. And that's a huge part of my coaching with women now is flipping the script, changing the lens in which you view the world. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of suicide awareness and conflict resolution and overwhelm and getting rid of overwhelm and stress. And those are super negative spaces to come from Mm -hmm. when you're talking about that. And it was important for me to get training on that. But Mm -hmm. when I turn around and teach people things, yes, that was a valuable experience for me, but my whole goal is like, that's coming from the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And my thought process is preventative medicine. Preventative. Yeah, for sure. So how can you take like a naturopathic thought process with super stressful situations? And what that meant for me was flipping the script, changing the lens in which you view it. I can't reduce your stress or overwhelm or resolve your conflict today, right this second in the heat Mm -hmm. of the moment while it's happening. There's no magic wand. Your eight ball, you know, like you can shake the eight ball. You're in the heat of it. What I can do is promise you that through coaching, you can learn to have more gratitude and joy. So those things won't stress you out as much. The conflicts, they just won't be there to the same degree. So it was a different way when I looked at all the training I had and the people, all the people that I had worked with, like, and how negative we are and in our society and kind of the 
that I'm not that way. Mm. What was I doing different? And how could I take all of that? What I think negative emergency room training and how could I flip it? And that was really exciting because in my own life, I was doing it automatically. Mm -hmm. So I had to take a step back and figure out like, what is my thought process on this? and turn it into coaching. So, you know, part of my coaching was life experience. And part of it was like, hands on raising kids, you there's no manual to prepare you for that. And some of it was actual certifications. And it was kind of like a combination of all of that stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I love that, um, that you're able to like help people flip that switch. I think that's really, and that lens that they see the world through, I think that's really um, important. And you guys, uh, at Blissful Parents out there, if you're listening to this, Jen has also written a book called Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, which goes deeper into her story of her childhood and up to the point of her uh, pregnancies and fostering and everything too. So go and check out her mom of 18.com forward slash book. That's where you can find out more about Jen's book there as well. And now Jen is also the host of a podcast called the naked podcaster. So Jen, your, your idea was to bring this all to the world and bear it all and kind of like bring things, these conversations that are hard to have and hard to deal with. And you've gone through all of them. You've had these conversations and your podcast has had a lot of these conversations too. Um, So tell us a little bit more about the podcast and and how it all intertwines with what you're up to. I actually, I got an email from somebody who was upset about their podcast experience with me. It was so weird. It was a publicist that was sending me guests a while ago. And I don't remember one of the guests that he had referred came on and was upset about something. Okay. So he asked me about it. And in my reply, I was like, look, this is the process. And after I wrote it, I thought how great that I got a little frustrated at this situation and immediately turned around and I didn't get defensive, which I think is important. I just said like pretty much this is the way it is. And I copied that and edited it. And that is what's on my podcast page, my website. It's actually the story of how the podcast was born. I wrote my book. First of all, it takes a lot of guts and it's hard to write a book. So I was proud of myself, not just for writing the book, but for sharing the content that was very difficult to share and really bearing it all. And doing so, because if I made the difference to one person, it was worth sharing my story. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, everybody should do this. Everybody should write a book. I want to help everybody write a book. (laughs) And that was a square peg in a round hole. But my husband's best friend, who had a very successful podcast, said, Jen, you should just start a podcast and do interviews. And he handed me my first microphone. And I did. I just was like, okay. And I jumped on and did it. I learned a few things. I took a little John Lee Dumas course, like a speed course. And I jumped on and I did it. And I, I'm glad that I, that doesn't bother me to do that because it's mm-hmm. never, if you wait until you have it figured out and perfect, you will never do anything. It's kind of like waiting <laughs> to, a, if you wait till you afford to have kids. So I jumped on and I started the podcast and the podcast goal was to get other people's stories. Like I wrote a book and that's great. And that's wonderful. It is one story. So what if I could get a lot of people's story about struggle out there and it made a difference to one person. Mm-hmm. And that was May 2nd, 2017 that the podcast was born. So we're coming up on four years. I have like, I have over 200 episodes. Mm-hmm. It has been First of all, so much fun. It was, it's so much fun to run a podcast, a lot of work, but it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. And my husband laughs at me because I'll do a podcast interview and I'll come out of the office, you know, and he says, how did it go? And I'm like, 
that was my favorite interview I've ever done. Like <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> every single time, right? And mm. these people have become my friends over the years mm. and people that I like, I love them and I feel honored that they're willing to bear it all with me. Hence mm-hmm. the naked podcast or write the name. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that they are, they trust me to hold space for them mm-hmm. while they bear the most intimate and detailed and sometimes horrific parts of their lives in the hopes that it helps someone else out there. They have the same feeling that I do. And wow. I mean, I have so much, I'm in awe of these people that step forward and do this just absolutely in awe with so much gratitude. That's such a gift to give me to be able to do that. And they wouldn't have been able to do that hadn't you also been willing to do that too. So as I know, Benet Brown has just recently been quoted by saying vulnerability begets vulnerability. So by you being willing to share that and bear it all too, it's allowed them to do the same as well, which is incredible. But I love the podcast, guys. Make sure you guys go check it out. It's called The Naked Podcaster. And uh, Jen has just done like an incredible job uh, with her show. So Jen, I want to turn the tables to our parents at home right now. So you mm. have got a wealth of information for them. If there are some tips for parents out there that are maybe like struggling with how the world's going right now, there's a lot of things happening. What's some tips that you've learned along the way to have to run a successful household? And um, let's just put it out there this way where like right now the world is in a bit of chaos. So how do you keep calm amongst the chaos and have gratitude for it all while we're at home with, you know, different lockdowns happening, different, all different things in the world going on right now? You asked me earlier about identity, and I think it starts with this. I didn't lose my identity to my kids, and I I feel it's very common. You know, you get married, and my husband loves to golf, and he bought me golf clubs a couple of years ago for Mother's Day, and it was very sweet. And, you know, I looked at them, and they were in the garage, and we were talking about going, and I finally looked at him and said, I don't want to learn how to golf. Like, that's your thing? Mm-hmm. I love going. I love being your caddy. I can tell him we can be at a hole. I have the GPS. I tell him the distance. I tell him which one of his clubs he could use because I know how he golfs. I know what his distance is going to be. I track it. Like I love being outside on the golf course, being his caddy. And because I was doing that with him and I didn't talk about how much I loved it. I would just be like, yes, let's go golfing and I'll be your caddy. And this is fun. Plus it's kind of sexy to be your husband's caddy. I'm not going to lie. So, um, I don't even have to carry the golf clubs. I'm, you know, so he bought me the clubs thinking, oh, now we can do this together. And mm-hmm. I, I think we do it. We start with our relationships, right? We take mm-hmm. on their, I, the identity of the other person. There are times where he plays basketball and I don't, and I run and he doesn't. There are times when you keep that separate. He golfs and I love to go, but I don't want to learn to golf. I want to be the caddy. You kind of have to figure out what things do you both love that you cross over? Even if it's something you teach each other, if he had decided he like, he's been running with me and he's done a couple of five K's and he does like it. And when he decides he wants to do that, it's the freaking best day ever, Mm -hmm. but I don't expect him to suddenly become a runner. I think we've, we kind of force our identities onto other, the person that we're with, because we want to have those commonalities or we take mm-hmm. them on when they're really not our thing. So one thing is that I've been very true to myself mm-hmm. of what I like to do that's mine and what I like to do that's theirs. So when I had kids, I wasn't living vicariously through my kid's life. 
It's their life to live through. I enjoyed it tremendously. Every single stage. I have grandchild number 12 on the way. I love it. I loved every part. I stayed home for 10 years. I breastfed for over a year for every one of my kids. I even three of the adopted kids I breastfed. I mean, like I've worked corporate for a decade. I've been an entrepreneur for almost five years. So don't lose identity to your job. Don't lose identity to your spouse and don't lose your identity to your kids, which is the biggest one. Our lives Mm -hmm. become so wrapped up in our kids that we lose who we are through Mm -hmm. that. No, you're not a soccer mom. You're a mom whose kid plays soccer and you support them. And there is a difference in that. So that is the first thing is maintaining your identity, the life crisis, the identity crisis, the purpose crisis. I mean, like whether you're like, I don't purpose in my life. I don't know who I am anymore. I mean, the first thing I'm going to tell you is let's go back to when you were a kid, what things lit you up inside, mm-hmm. what things gave you joy. What about when you were a teenager? What about in high school? When you were in college, what did you want to be when you grew up? What, did, what things did you do that you love? Those are the things that you work on that are your identity. And the, and I never stopped doing the things that I loved. I mm-hmm. had the feeling, the, I don't know, I just, the belief, I had a belief system that I could still do anything I wanted to do with kids. I may just have to tweak it. Mm -hmm. So I was a runner who had a running stroller. Did I like the running stroller? No, (laughs) but it made it so I didn't have to give up my identity. So you have to find who you are and maintain that. The next thing is, and this one is huge. And I have a really funny example that seems so dumb and it was so stressful for me. So write down in your day, the things that are creating a tremendous amount of stress. Something for me when I had a lot of little kids and my oldest is like 33 of all the kids. My youngest is 11, but from 19 to 33, there are 17 kids from 19 years old to 33. Mm -hmm. If you take out the five kids that I was not able to adopt, but I would have the kids that stayed long-term that I count Mm -hmm. as mine. If you take the other 13 12 out of 13 of them were born in 10 and a half years. I had a lot of kids very close together. Mm -hmm. And Dane's kids are part of that equation. Like his three kids were with seven of mine in that tent. Like we had a lot of kids close together. I washed so many freaking cups every single day. It was (laughs) like I was doing dishwasher Mm -hmm. loads of cups. You know, your child gets a cup, gets a drink, or you give them a cup, and then they ask you for a drink, and you're like, where's your cup? I don't know which one is mine. Like, I can can barely manage them with two of my kids having many cups a day. I can't imagine. It was so stressful. It was so stressful. So go through your day, and that may seem like a silly thing, but it drove me crazy. I found cups all over my house. I, you're not even allowed to drink in the other room. Like it was very stressful (laughs) because it created a lot of work and it was always a source of contention. And we were running out of cups and I'm running the dishwasher three times a day. And it just drove me nuts. And I love this example because cups are not like, it's not a make or break situation in your life. Mm -hmm. Nothing it's not physically or morally harmful. Nothing bad's going to happen, but it created a lot of stress in my life. And it can be something super simple that these mamas are going through that create a lot of stress in their lives. Write those down. So I had written down like cups were so stressful and then start to think out of the box. So this is what I did. I color coded my kids. I asked all of my kids what their favorite color was. Brianna was purple. Olivia was yellow. No, Olivia was not yellow. Olivia was green. Alana was orange. Nicholas was yellow. Taylor was blue. They all picked their favorite color. And I went online. We have Amazon now. This was like 20 plus years ago. 
And I looked for like the six ounce Rubbermaid Tupperware, like plastic, durable plastic cups. And I bought two cups in two different sizes, two bowls, two plates. And I had a daughter who was allergic to metal, so she couldn't use silverware. So I also bought plastic utensils in every single color I could. And each one of my kids was color coded. If I took, if I got a, you know, a drink for Alana, I handed her the orange cup. I find an orange cup anywhere. That is Alana's cup. When they needed to get a drink again, it was, I'm telling you, I I mean, like, I cannot even express to you how much stress that reduced in my life on a day-to-day basis. And I love it because it seems like such a silly, dumb thing. So recognize what your stress is. Mm. My stress was running the dishwasher and finding cups all the freaking time all over my house, especially when your kids can get up on the stool and get their water themselves or use the little water. I don't even need to be there, except I have to get the cups and wash the cups and keep the cup anyway. So recognize your stress. What is it? Write it down and try to figure out out of the box ways Mm -hmm. to solve the problem. It's a problem that's causing stress that you need to solve and ask for help. We didn't have social media back there. Mm ask for help. Other people will have these great, brilliant ideas, but man, my kids are still color coded. <laughs> you would have loved those Ikea packs that they have now where they come no. with like six different colors. Oh. And you, just buy, you would have just had to buy two packs of them. <laughs> I know it would have been like a dream come true. Right. Yeah. So, but the great thing is that there's, there is always a solution to your problem. You just have to think out of the box and there's no reason for things like that to be creating so much stress. You have control. Anything you have control over minimizing, get it, get it off your plate, get rid of it. So that was what I did. If something stressed me out, I was like, let me look at this. Is it today? Is it right now? Is it because other things happen? Is it just like a minor frustration for some reason more right now, but it's really not a big deal. Or is this something that over and over again is a stressful situation? Mm -hmm. There is a way to fix it that is in your control. Yeah, I love that. That's brilliant. And you know, you know, it doesn't need to eat you up over years of time. I think the real point oh. is, is that you can actually solve that problem and move on from it very quickly if you just pay attention to it and figure out what it is that's causing the stress. I think that's yeah. a great, great strategy. <laughs> Awesome. I think that our parents are going to love you, Jen, and want to follow you and find out more information about you. And so where is the best place to get more of Jen? Well, momofaintteen.com is the, like all the links to my social media are there. My favorite platform is Instagram, but I'm of course on Facebook a lot. If it's present on my website, then you can use it. And there's always the contact form. I have a Google number there. I do get your messages if they call and leave a voice message through Google voice. Basically, when you go on the website, whatever your favorite way is to have contact, it's probably there. Yeah. So just That's use true. whatever your favorite way is. Yeah. So it's momof18.com. So go check out Jen there. And the funny story about how Jen and I connected was I was speaking on a virtual summit about remote working because I'd worked and, and it was all around based in the RV space. And some of you know, that's how I started my podcasting experience. My family lived in RV for five months. We traveled everywhere and um, it was a really interesting experience. And that's where I met Jen because you're now on the next phase of your adventure. You and your husband 
are moving into your RV full time? And how many kids are you bringing with you in the RV? One. We're down to one. <laughs> because our kids were so close together. And then we have an eight year gap and I have an 11 year old and we blow blended families. We've been minimalists for six and a half years and our journey was moving towards living full-time in an RV. So we know, we knew we didn't really want to do it one with a blended family and two with so many kids so close Mm -hmm. together. So we were kind of waiting until summer of 2020. So we bought the RV in January of 2021 and it's getting renovated. It should be done by the beginning of July of this year. Mm -hmm. And so I've definitely posted a lot. I mean, minimalism is a huge part of stress reduction for anyone, even if it's just decluttering, Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to live in an RV, but of course I follow that world and I have for six years. Mm -hmm. So you are the first person that ever came on and talked about like RV living, living small, doing things remotely and having that be a podcast. So I was ecstatic. So it was so, it was so great. That was so great. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that's amazing. Now here you are on social parenting podcast, sharing these tips because I think these are so useful. And I love what you just said too, of the decluttering. I know for me, that's when we moved back into a house. I was like, that's what's, that's what is causing me a lot of stress that wasn't there when we were in the RV, the RV, we just had what we had. We had a couple of toys, couple sets of clothes. It was, you know, not that copious amount of stuff that was like causing anxiety and cups everywhere as in your example. <laughs> and so I think that's a really key point to leave our parents with too, is de- how much de-stressing you can do by decluttering and living more minimally. And um, I can't wait to follow your adventures. And I'm sure part of the reason for getting into the RV is so you can travel around the country and visit all your grandkids, right? <laughs> I, well, we've got, we've got two in South Africa and four in Alaska and one in Utah. I mean, yes, that is part of it. I've got one in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And it's just because, you know, we homeschool our youngest daughter and we need to be in place. I'm in Reno, Nevada. We we need to stay here because Dane's job is here mm-hmm. for the moment, but we we want to live in it full time and the ability to just take off and have our home be with us. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like you did it for five months or yeah. something so reassuring for, from a kid who moved a lot. It's nice to no matter where I go, I have my home yeah. with me yeah. instead of having to move my entire home somewhere else. So yeah, Absolutely. yeah, it's a, it's a really fun adventure for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward to following you on that adventure. Blissful parents out there, make sure you connect with Jen. Um, make sure you go check out her book on her podcast and her podcast. And you can find all those things at mom of 18.com. Jen, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. It's been a blast. I've learned so much and your story continues to inspire us. And it just, wow, you're amazing. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Blissful parents out there, go connect with Jen. And until next time, we'll see you next week. Another great guest with you for you next week. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Blissful Parent Podcast. For complete transcriptions of this show, as well as helpful links to resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at theblissfulparent.com.